the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Staff and Graph podcast. I'm clearly not the voice of Mike Stevens. It's Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News pitch hitting today alongside Rachel Dory. Rachel, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Super excited for the guest that we have today. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's welcome in while we're at it. Uh, you may know him as a member of the Calgary Flames organization or Toronto or Ottawa, where a lot of our listeners are from. It was a first round pick in 2013. He's now coaching with the Victoria Royals as an assistant. Without further ado, Morgan Klimchuk. How's it going, man? Great. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Are you in Victoria still or back home in Calgary? Uh, actually, I'm spending the summer in Calgary, the off season in Calgary. So that's where I am right now. Nice. When do you kind of like as a in the dub these days, like for coaching? I know that obviously it's a 12 month year job, but when do you kind of shut her down? Like when does it kind of mellow out for your job? Well, yeah, there's a bit of downtime right when the season ends, obviously. Um, I, uh, I just, I'm, I'm doing some, some on ice and off ice player development in Calgary in the summer. So okay. not a ton of time, but I took, it took a one to two months right, right as the season ended there just to kind of, yeah, reset, regroup. And then, yeah, just get back at, back at it with, uh, with, with the off season grind as well. Is there a direct flight from Calgary to Victoria? I feel like there's some Western flights that are direct, and then there's some that are just a total pain to get to. Yeah, there's a few that are tough, but yeah, you you can you can get there uh, direct from Calgary to Vic. But I've most of the time I've I've done that travel. I've actually driven. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. I mean, for what about the the grind of the WHL? Like with the like, are you guys? flying out and then busing or how does that work for you guys when you're playing no, divisional we contests? Have, we, we bus everywhere um so yeah obviously being the only team on the island it does make it a little bit a uh, little bit of a challenge it's it's about three hours total hour and a half each way for every single uh, road game for us but honestly you get used to it i, I remember playing against victoria we always kind of look forward to going on the ferry and and yeah. even you know at the start of the season this year on you know being the, being from victoria n- now um you know wasn't sure what to expect but definitely got used to it it's just you know there's food on the ferry you can get off the bus and usually just sit there and watch video anyways <laughs> that's fair it goes it goes on like i i remember when i was doing kind of something similar with sudbury you, the bus rides go by fast because you're just sitting there on the laptop clicking the steva buttons or whatever video program you use and, and all of a sudden exactly. it's like oh we're there <laughs> exactly yeah can you be a video coach and like be someone that gets car sick or is that kind of like a prereq you can't because i feel like they're, they're they're clipping stuff all the time on buses Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't know if yeah if you get car sick or you struggle, you know, on a bus or anything like that. You, I don't know if junior hockey would be for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, we want to get into your path and your your newfound um, you know trajectory in hockey with coaching, but we kind of want to back up um, to the origin of things, go through your career, you know, with the insight of someone that's seen player development on the inside, you know, as a player and now working with WHL kids. It'd be cool to kind of discuss those things as we go through your journey. And I got to ask you first, man being a first round draft pick of your hometown team, right? Cause you grew up in Calgary. I did, yep. So when that kind of pro- process happened, I'm sure a dream come true and whatnot, but in the back of your mind that year was, was Calgary something you really wanted or do you kind of detach yourself from that when it comes down to it? No, I knew, you know, it, it was definitely something that I wanted. I was excited. I knew kind of going into that draft, obviously they had the three picks in the first round there. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, I knew there was a chance and it was definitely something that I was excited about. And, you know, you go through the interview process and everything before, and you have, you have a, a general sense of who's a little more interested than others. And, and Calgary was one of those teams for me. So, yeah, I knew there was a chance. And then, you know, as the first round kind of went through, went through all the picks, they, they had taken two left shot forwards before me. So I wasn't, after they took Emil in the early twenties there, Emil Poirier, I wasn't necessarily sure if Calgary was still going to be an option. And then, um, yeah, that's kind of how the cards fell. And, and obviously I was very excited and, uh, it was it was a remarkable day. So you talk about the the interview process and obviously some teams being um, more, I guess, interested than others. And they show that what was the combine process like? Because I've only seen it from the team side of it. I what's it like as a player kind of 
going through and it, it kind of feels like you're just going from room to room interviewing all the time. Like how, how does that make you feel as sort of like a young 17, 18 year old guy? Yeah. You know what I did? I did a decent amount of uh, prep for it. Like talking with other players that have been through it, obviously staff that have been through it, just so you have a bit of an idea of kind of what you're getting into. But uh, honestly, I I really enjoyed it. It it was a little bit of an overwhelming week. I think especially the first couple of days, like the fitness test kind of right at the end and you, you know, you do your interview interviews for the four to five days leading up to that. And I think I met with almost every single team. I think I had close to 30 interviews just because I was kind of on the cusp of, you know, the first or second round there. So there was, you know, a lot of teams had a chance to, to, to select me. So yeah, I, honestly, like the first couple of days were nerve wracking. I wasn't really sure what to get into until you actually do it. And then once you've been through a few, you know, five to 10, the, the last 20 are, are, are very similar. So yeah, it was good. It was an enjoyable experience. And, and then, and then it all kind of, you know, culminates at the end there with the fitness testing, which is, I was nervous for that. There's, there's a lot of bodies around. There's a lot of people and obviously want to do well. So that was, that was a high stress uh, day or two before that. And then obviously the day of, but when it was all said and done, I was honestly, I was uh, very fortunate to go through that process. And, you know, it was, it was an experience that you, know, you only get to do once. So I was, I was, it was, it was enjoyable. How many pull-ups did you do? Do you remember? <laughs> I don't remember. I think more than Sam Bennett though. There you go. <laughs> hey, That's you, a said good it, one. Not, you said it, not me. Yeah. Um, going into the combine, I mean, first off, before I ask that, actually, were you kind of keeping stock of where you were rated? Were you, there's so many players I've talked to. Some are like, I am a hockey fiend. I'm reading all that stuff. So is my mom. Everyone around me is texting to me. And others that are like, nah, I'm I'm not going to touch that. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Uh, Yeah, it was definitely... keeping tabs on it like it's it's hard to ignore it right with yeah. social media and just being so ingrained in it at the time you're you know you're definitely following it but i think it, it can be dangerous one way or the other if you pay no attention to it you know maybe you get some information that'll help you and if you know if you're all over it it can be a little bit distracting so i was in the middle for sure i, I would say my parents were definitely invested in it and people that were close to me were but you know just little things like i remember right before leaving for the draft uh it was either the draft or the combine you know craig button and everyone comes out with their list and i was just sitting at a restaurant watching it it was on the tv there and i couldn't change it so yeah (laughs) just just little things like that exactly you know you're kind of surrounded by it you just see it so yeah not a ton i wasn't going looking for it but it's hard to avoid but going into the combine as a player what do you did you think had more stock killing it in the fitness testing or wowing the gms in the interviews it's a good question yeah i would say that i would say the interviews are extremely important right it's 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 a the first first chance for a lot of those staff members from those teams just to really you know get to know you to some degree it's not even really the depth that i'm sure they would like to and that's why teams do subsequent interviews you know after the the combine i did that with calgary but uh yeah i would say i would say you can't drop the ball really with either but uh you know people give you different answers but i think you know the fitness stuff it can be changed it can be developed you can help you can help athletes with that but but who they are and and you know kind of how they how they treat people and and things like that is is not really going to change so i would say that's that's critically important to that process so you talk about the interview as kind of the thing and i i remember kind of people a team send out surveys and stuff throughout the year to kind of get an idea of of who you are were you asked any like ridiculous questions in a combine interview? Like what was the weirdest question a team asked you where you went, what the heck? Like, how am I supposed to answer this? Yeah. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't too many that were that, that weird. Uh, One of the teams, I won't say who, but they were talking to me about my, like my fitness, my nutrition and all that stuff. And there, it it was going well, it was lighthearted, but they were adamant that I ate one of the cookies that was on the table. There was a plate of cookies on the table and they're like until mine game yeah exactly they just kept asking me to eat the cookie and i was at first i was like no i'm okay like i'm not gonna eat the cookie like you know i just ate and i'm going through this process like i don't need to sit here eating a cookie as we're doing our combine interview but yeah i left that room having eaten a cookie so yeah i, I came yeah so nobody nobody asked you if you were gonna reach inside of a toilet for a 50 dollar bill or anything nope. like that because that's Nothing's too bad like that no not that i can recall were you prepping for it? Like, were you going into it? I've been talked to guys that you're probably going to be asked not stuff. Yeah, a little bit. Um, in the agency that I was with and, and still with, we do a little bit of the combine prep just over Zoom with, with again, players that have been through it, staff that have been through it, and, and uh, you know, people who can kind of give you some advice and, and just let you know what to expect. But at the end of the day, yeah, there are questions that come up like that. You know, you hear crazy ones every year that, uh, yeah, it's hard to prep for stuff like that. <laughs> We, sure. I remember we, we asked a player or we were asking um, players if you could, and it wasn't like a weird, what's your favorite animal question. It was, if you could pick one teammate of yours 
uh, to take with you because you think they're underrated or whatever the case may be, who would it be? And so they'd say a player, but then we'd pepper them on why. We mm-hmm. wanted to know why. So no, we were kind of using it as like, how do you view your teammates? But then also to get information about those other guys. And I felt like it it took players off guard because they weren't expecting to have to talk about their teammates. It's usually just you talk about yourself. And so were you making I always them wondered, shred them? Were you getting them just to shred their teammate essentially? Or what was the what was the goal of that? Um I honestly I think it was to see how they would um discuss their teammates, like how they viewed their teammates. If you were the star of the team. Right. Um so like I mean Morgan, you put up a bunch of you what teammate do you want to take? And you turn around and are like, I don't want to take any of them. They're all terrible. People are going to be like, oh, Morgan doesn't like any of his teammates. Like, that's right, not good. I see. Right. Yeah, I remember questions exactly like that. And it wasn't as, you know, it wasn't, I remember the questions being more so geared towards uh, like my my experiences at the under 18, um, because a lot of those players were obviously, you know, highly, highly touted guys. And um, yeah, but I, I do remember exactly questions like that. Who would you take and why basically? So after you're drafted and you go into your training and whatnot, Obviously, you go back to junior. You had another two years there. But what's that like when you're an NHL drafted prospect? You got the next two years in junior. Like, what kind of communication do you have with the team? Like, are you feeling kind of arm's length away? What's that like as an NHL prospect at that stage? No, it's it's pretty hands-on. Like, uh, obviously, being from Calgary, it, it made it a little bit different for me. Um, so my off-seasons were very hands-on. Like, I very quickly transitioned who I was training and skating with in the in the summer to to be with the, the Flame staff that was in town and the players that were in town. So I think that provided definitely an opportunity and, and more exposure that players that aren't from, obviously, their, their locals or the local to their NHL towns. Right. Um, but during the season, yeah, like, I was in constant contact with the, the player development staff probably once every couple of weeks once a month and they were often around same thing probably on the same schedule so um yeah you're, you're definitely involved you're definitely having conversations and you, you know not at arm's length by any means but uh you know at the end of the day you're still just a prospect and there, there was a lot of work to be done so i knew that but uh yeah no i was well supported how did you balance the i know some teams have guys that'll actually come in and they'll go on the ice with you but then other teams have guys that'll just like be texting you or they'll come watch a game kind of thing. How do you balance? I want to play within the system that my coach is playing in Regina Mm. versus these are the things the flames have told me I need to work on to play at the NHL level. Like how did you kind of balance the importance of both of those things? Yeah, it's a great question. I think like, I got, you get a little bit better at it as you get older and you do it a little bit longer. I think, you know, how I did it and the advice I would give to people, because that still goes on at, you know, at every level, the junior level and the pro level, especially is just have communication with, with the coaching staff that's there. Right. Like, you know, you have people from the outside, whether it's personal coaches or development coaches from, from an organization at a level above you that often, a lot of times have a lot of really good stuff to offer and a lot of advice that'll help you individually as a player and, and having just open, honest dialogue on how you can, you know, incorporate some of that stuff into the team game and into the team system, I think strikes that balance quite well, but definitely took me a little bit of time to kind of figure that out. And, uh, you know, at that age though, I remember those couple years there, there wasn't a ton coming from the outside that would have, you know, negatively impacted any of the team setting standpoint, but uh, yeah, I've, I've seen it, you know, as you get older at the pro level or the American league level, for sure, where there's guys, there's coaches, guys that have coaches on the outside that, that there could be a lot of noise there. And, and now, especially on the coaching side, you know, you deal with that as well. And, and then that's what I would say. And that's how I did it. It's just have those conversations, strike that balance and find a way to make it work for both parties. What's that like? What's it like having signing bonus money in junior compared to not having signing bonus money in junior? <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. what, what's the big difference there? Biggest difference, I think, would be you go from having Quiznos at lunch to maybe just going to like Earl's or something like that. <laughs> is there a bit like, is there, I mean, I know you said you were with an agency. I'm sure you were around that age. Like, do you get, do you, were you ever cautioned on like money spending and stuff like that when that started rolling in when you were young? For sure. Yeah. Like prior, it was right around the same time that you started going through, you know, the combine prep and you, right. you're ready to kind of take that step. That was, that was another thing that my agency offered. And, uh, you know, they, they connect you with someone to, to help you manage your finances. And yeah, I, I still work with those people to this day. So yeah, thankfully I was surrounded by, you know, good people that kind of helped me and gave me some guidance in that area. But uh, yeah, it's, it was definitely a quick change very, very, very fast once you actually do sign that contract and get that money. 
I like that you're, you talk about going to Quiznos and Earl's and like one of the players I coached in Sudbury went out and bought a Rolex the same day oh, his good. check All cleared. Right. So That's one there's, way. There's, there's definitely a spectrum. There's the, <laughs> I'm going to be smart with my money. And there's the, I'm going to go buy an $80,000 Audi. And yeah. you were, there's a reason why you were one of the smart ones. They're <laughs> like, you, now you you say you, you continue to be in touch with these people. So when you transition from playing to coaching the way that you have, do you still kind of keep in touch with your agent? You, you still have access to all the things that you were provided um, when you were sort of going through it as a younger player. How does that transition work? Yeah, it was, it was, it was weird, a little bit weird for sure, to be honest, like even, even on the financial perspective, you know, the money coming in changes, but uh, ultimately what they do on the back end in terms of just, you know, budgeting and investments and things like that stays relatively, um, you know, status quo. But uh, yeah, from the, from the agent perspective, that communication definitely dropped off for a little bit as you know, there's, there's not a ton to discuss in terms of how you're doing or or what's going on or or potential, you know, negotiations for, for another job. But uh, yeah, on the, on the coaching front now, I'm honestly just kind of dipping my toe in the water and and, and establishing the same relationships with people who can help negotiate and help, you know, get you some exposure and kind of, you know, just advocate for you in in certain situations. So yeah, still, still keep in touch with, with all those people, just, just not to the same extent. We'll get to your pro career in a second, but just a, a quick shift of gears. Who was the funniest player that you ever played with, junior or pro? Mm. <laughs> Trent Olet is his name. He played. I played with him in Regina. Uh, he's by far the funniest guy I played with. Any PG relative stories that come to mind? PG <laughs> relative, I said, Dory. Yeah, relative. He was involved. He, I got a good one. He was involved in this one. The other guy that I'll name actually is Dyson Stevenson. I played with uh, both of those guys in Regina, and these two together were yeah, they're just absolute characters. So. One story I got was uh, it was in Regina. We always, I don't know why we were doing this. We were always like kind of taking guys clothes or like shoes out of their locker and just hiding them in ridiculous places. Like, <laughs> you know, you'd find your, your jacket in the microwave or something like that. Or So I, I, for whatever reason, I was having a bad day. I was just tired, ready to get out of the rink. It'd been a long week or maybe I wasn't playing that well. And so got off the ice. I was again, just, just eager to get out of there, open up my locker and nothing's in there. Like not a single piece of my clothing's in there. <sighs> And so I'm, I'm looking at all the usual spots, microwave, ceiling tile, and I'm at it for about 15 minutes. And then I'm like, I just start asking around. I'm like, guys, like you guys got to help me. Like, this is ridiculous. I got to get out of here. So I grabbed Trent and Dyson and I'm like, Hey guys, like, just, just help me look. So same thing. We're now, that was a team of three of us looking around for my clothes for about probably another 15 minutes. We're probably half an hour into this. And then, and they're, you know, they're, they're being serious about it, like straight face the whole time. About half an hour into it, I kind of come around a corner in the dressing room and there's like a little bit of a longer hallway so I can see both of them like looking in lockers. <laughs> and I look and I'm looking a little bit closer at Dyson and Trent and these two guys have all of my clothes just on themselves. <laughs> both oh of them. My- yeah. And so they're helping me look for my clothes the whole time. But I was so like just emotionally charged that I couldn't even tell that these two guys were wearing it. So yeah. That was that- ridiculous. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. That yeah. is incredible. That's that like probably one of, them. Yeah, sure. exactly. Oh and my yeah, gosh. We also, we also keep in touch. I actually was just at Dyson's wedding last weekend and, and Trent was there. I drove up with Trent. So yeah, it was, there was lots of laughs there. That's amazing. Yeah. And then any kind of horror road trip stories on the bus or, or any kind of travel disasters, pro or junior? Could be anything. Honestly, no. Knock on wood, I've been pretty lucky. lucky. Yeah, the in the you know in pro we we flew uh, from Stockton primarily. We, you know we flew a lot out of yeah. there, and we had to connect everywhere. So that was there was some long travel days there, just just the usual stuff, just really long delays, like full days in the airport and things like that. But no, for the most part, I've honestly been pretty lucky. Yeah, there's definitely been some horror stories. I mean, you you talk about teams the marley's obviously being the exception but there's teams that bus all over the states and they're like oh yeah, oh, yeah. we're going on on a four-week bus trip and i am not a bus trip girl like I, the the most i'm accepting is like the sault saint marie to toronto bus which is like eight hours ish but other than that like i don't know that i could do the ahl bus kind of i guess gauntlet did you in stockton you said you flew a lot did you kind of get to avoid a little bit of that bus gauntlet that maybe some of the other teams that were on the Eastern seaboard had to do? 
a little bit. Yeah. My, my first year in Stockton, we, we, we rode it a lot. Like we would bus from Stockton down to San Diego for games. And so, you know, that, that those would be long trips. You go through a lot of traffic there that you, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. If you hit it the wrong time of day, you're, you're basically sitting on the highway for three, four hours and the trip, you know, only should have taken yeah. seven and you're on there for 12. So, uh, you know, we made adjustments and just the players and, and the organization has kind of worked together. Cause that was really the first season they were there to, you know, adjust some of those longer trips. Um, but yeah, definitely been through the gauntlet, you know, in the Western league too, like, you know, you're, you're bus in 25 hours, uh, at the end of a road trip on your long swings. And, you know, I, I think honestly this year, we're going to have something very similar coming, uh, going out East in, you know, for, for Saskatchewan, Manitoba uh, road trip there. And then, and ultimately having to come all the way back to Victoria, there'll be, there'll be a good long one in there this season. Oh man, that's that's an airplane. You gotta get yeah. whoever the owner is. They they need to splurge from an airplane. You can't be bussing from Winnipeg or wherever it is. That's hey, well they're not in the league anymore. Yeah, they don't need to worry about it. There you go. I guess Brandon now. I guess yeah, right. exactly. yeah, Brandon. So you turn pro. You're in Stockton now. The AHL affiliates obviously in Calgary. You're in Stockton. Um, first, I heard like isn't the arena the area of the arena is not the best. I've heard that a couple times. I heard one player told me they got in an Uber. They were I think, sent down or something, and they were in the hotel. And the guys like, to, like the driver was like, uh, "I'm not going to stop at any Reds because if I do, like we're going to get mugged." And the guy was like, uh, "What?" what? <laughs> like, and I've heard like a couple stories. What was that like in that area? Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty much what we were told. Um, I remember getting there. So the the arena in Stockton is is like right across the street. Like like pretty much shares a parking lot with. Uh, it, it's a hotel and it's a loft. So half of its right. hotel rooms, half of its lofts, and so basically, yeah, they're in the same parking lot. And that's where the majority of the team lives. And so, yeah, when we got there, you know, you have your you have your safety, your security meetings, and they basically gave us a map of yeah, this the surrounding areas, like the five. <laughs> five let's call it square kilometers that the rink's located in uh they give us this map and that the whole five kilometers was red and it was like this <laughs> this red area you don't want to spend a lot of time in and it's that's like refreshing. well this is where we live and this is where we work so yeah yeah that's that that's what we were told and that's what kind of what we expected but honestly i didn't really have many many bad experiences when i was there but uh yeah that, that's kind of what they told us when they got there is this is an area you don't want to spend a ton of time in I feel like maybe they tell you this because they don't want you just like out and about. But when you see someone who's like your size or some of the other prospects who are like six four, six five, they're a lot less likely to be mugged than let's say if Jacob and I were walking down the street. Like I think yeah, I'm I probably a walking billboard for <laughs> like please mug me in Stockton. Yeah, yeah, we scream mug me. I agree with you on that, Dory. Right, where is muggable? Someone sees Morgan Klimchuk and they're like, yeah, maybe not because he might punch my face off. And I don't give off that vibe at all. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I don't either. I'm definitely muggable. That's why we asked Morgan because we well, want to I, I, I appreciate the kind words, but I don't know if I'm giving off that vibe either. There's definitely a few guys that would, but I'd be, I'd be right there walking with you too. Especially okay. fresh out of junior. And I mean, so let's get into that. That leap from the WHL to AHL. You're, you're three years removed from your draft year. It didn't go the best for you. What was the kind of challenge for you adapting to the pro game? I honestly, uh, yeah, it was a tough year for sure for me. I, you know, you're in situations where you don't have the puck as much. I, right. I found that to be a challenge for sure, especially early. I would say, like, honestly, I had a good, I felt like I had a good camp. I felt really confident leaving Calgary, going to Stockton, and then had just a couple okay preseason games there. And that's where it just, yeah, it started to kind of get away from me a bit, just my confidence and, you know, just where I was going to fit and how I was going to contribute. I wasn't necessarily sure what, where, where and how, you know, I was going to do that. And it took me a little bit to figure that out. Um, and yeah, you know, credit the coaches there, like Ryan Huska, who's in Calgary there now, um, you know, he put a lot of time in with, with me that, that year. We pretty much watched, I would say close to every single game start to finish just him and I, and not wow. just mine, like other players as well. We would watch, you know, guys that obviously I wanted to emulate and that were doing well and having success. So for me, yeah, like offensively, it, it didn't look like the best year from the outside, but you know, kind of about a month or two into that season, I did kind of start to f find my groove in, in more of a two-way role and, you know, killing penalties and, and being able to play like, you know, shut down responsible minutes as well. So from the outside, yeah, the, the point production wasn't great and it definitely was a challenging year for me, but I, I actually grew a ton that year. Like, you know, went through a lot of adversity and had to kind of overcome that and, and ultimately 
you know, had some success in my, in, starting in my second season. So yeah, for, for me, it was just, it was just being in different situations, you know, not necessarily being the guy to have the puck in, you know, five on five and all the specialty situations I think was, was a difficult adjustment for me when you only get to touch it, you know, when you pretty much fight someone for it. So um, yeah, that, that, that was, that was the challenge for sure. I remember being, I think 2000, like I grad, you and I are the same age. And so I think, I was that was the draft class where I was like I really want to follow these guys more closely because like, these are the people that sort of are my peers in terms of age and I remember that D plus three season for you where you had the camp and people like Bob McKenzie and Craig Button were talking about how like Morgan Klimchuk might make the team right out of camp because he was he was really good in camp and then you went down and like you said you go through those those bumps so who when you're sitting there with Huska and, and you're talking about players that like you said, maybe having success playing a similar role. Like who are some of those players where once you turned pro, you realize, okay, maybe I'm more suited. My skill set's more suited to play like this guy. And I need to start watching more tape of, of him. Who were some of the players that sort of you looked at once you were really trying to, I guess, round out your program? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know what? Like when I think back to that, we were watching a lot of the peers that were on the team, right. That were right. in Stockton. Yeah. Uh, I think a guy's like, yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily I was trying to emulate my game after him, but somebody like Garnet Hathaway, who who just does some everything the right way on both sides of the puck, he's very hard to play against. He's it's honestly he's sneaky, sneaky good offensively as well, and especially at the American League level. So he was a guy that I was watching a ton. Um, Derek Grant was around, obviously bigger body, played center. He was you know again not not a guy that I was trying to emulate my game after, but watching a lot of and Turner Elson as well comes to mind. He he was he was in a similar you know a similar role to me played on both sides of the puck was definitely contributing offensively that year. So I would say those three guys primarily, but, but watched a lot of Garnet Hathaway and, and honestly still do. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the player and, and the person and um, yeah, picked up a lot of stuff that definitely helped me have success uh, again on both sides of the puck. How much of a gong show was it with Calgary's affiliate being in California, like same day call-ups, whatever you always hear stories of like, you know, Calgary's called someone up and then it's like, all right, to get here joe smith took three planes and then walked <laughs> half a mile to get there it's like that seems insane whereas nowadays it is crossed the hallway is there any stories that happened when you were there that's a good question i i honestly i can't think of anything that went like too wrong it was definitely right. a challenge right but anyone that gets that call is super excited like you can put me on a greyhound for 40 hours i'll go if i'm gonna go play in right. you know so yeah you know maybe for guys that were coming up and down a little more regularly that would would have definitely would have been a challenge but uh, nothing that i ever heard in terms of guys like missing games or missing practices nothing like that it was uh yeah you just you always had to get to a to an airport which was kind of the problem for for me my life well, for, for for a lot of the players that kind of lived outside of stockton the last couple of years that i was there so you know you got one and a half hours to either sacramento or san jose whatever it is and that's usually a lot of traffic as well that one and a half could turn into five pretty quick and then yeah one or two connecting flights but like i said you're going up to the nhl so suck right. it up. You, know, as- you mean to tell me that there's you didn't want to live in stockton in that loft <laughs> hotel while you the play there map. i'm shocked got a little smarter got a little smarter yeah. Yeah. the red map definitely threw him off the exactly. massive dangerous yeah. sign on the, pamphlet. To the green zone exactly. yeah. <laughs> so you know obviously before we move on kind of from the Calgary tenure, you made your, you made an NHL debut with the flames. Was it at home? I can't remember. Was it? it? Was, yeah. Yeah. What was it like getting that call? I love these stories. They never get old to me personally. Yeah, it was, it was obviously unbelievable call to get. I was just driving home from, I think we had a game that day. I believe we had a game that day and yeah, Brad Pascal called and said, basically we're calling you up. You're not playing tonight. So that was, it was pretty special. And then went through, you know, the little journey that we just talked about to get there. And then from there, I wasn't necessarily sure how it was going to go, if I was going to get in, nothing like that. And it was actually an afternoon game against Boston. I think it was family day or something like that. So it was like two o'clock game. And yeah, even the night before I, I didn't really think I was playing. And then uh, yeah, morning I found out, let my parents know kind of last minute, they actually had to kind of get their own tickets just because you know ticket requests are usually do like 24 hours before whatever it is and i didn't think i was going to play so i wasn't uh wasn't putting any name down there but uh yeah they, they ended up making it and it was an unbelievable experience you know we i think we lost in overtime like three two or four three whatever it was and um yeah a moment i'll never forget that's awesome who's the first guy where it's like okay you're the former first round pick. Everyone's like super excited. Morgan Klipchuk's making his NHL debut. You get to Calgary, you get to the locker room. Who are the guys that are in Calgary that are kind of like welcome to the 
team, like that kind of stuff. Like how does, how does that work? Yeah, there was a few, like, honestly, again, just having been around Calgary so much, just being from there, I got to spend a lot of time with, you know, the regular roster players over the course of the summer, guys that are in and out or guys that are there full time. So there, there was a number of them. I think that, uh, you know, we're very supportive. Matt Stage would be one that, that definitely comes to mind. Uh, you know, anybody that knows him, he's just a fantastic person, treats everyone well. And, you know, I actually got a chance to play with him um, that night, like on a line. So he, he was very supportive right from the moment I got there. And yeah, those are moments you, you definitely don't forget and uh you know obviously appreciated it a lot but uh yeah there there was lots just because again it's not like i was completely new to it i'd been around him a lot and i think you know ultimately i hope there's a lot of guys that were just as excited as i was i gotta ask you about the 2018-19 season because you were traded like three times um i'm sure very very busy uh year for you in a lot of facets but were you a bit relieved i don't know that's the right word but just with a change of scenery with how things were going in calgary when you first got traded to toronto um, I wouldn't say relieved. No, I, uh, you know, I, I had a sense that something was gonna, something was gonna happen just because, you know, roles and minutes were kind of changing that season prior to what they had been the last couple of years for me. So I had a bit of a sense, wasn't sure when or how or why, but, uh, yeah, when it, when it happened, it didn't catch me completely off guard. Um, but it was definitely a surprise. We just got home from a long road trip. I think it was like two or three weeks and was literally just getting settled and yeah, I got the call that I was going to Toronto and I was, I was just, just excited that, you know, obviously anytime you get traded, it, it sucks going from one spot to another, but ultimately there's, there's a team that wants you and values you. And I just tried to make the most of it and, and, and go to Toronto and do just that. But I'd made a lot of friends. I was, I was, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily the right thing to say in the American league, but I was, I was comfortable where I was, had a lot of teammates that I played with there for a number of years, had a, you know, a, a nice house that I've been in for a number of years and, and just having to kind of uproot all that was a little bit difficult but at the end of the day I you know I still wanted to play at the highest level and and knew I could so I uh I was I was excited to go pursue that with Toronto so you get the call you're going to Toronto what is I don't think I've ever actually asked a player this like you get that call you're being traded how does the new team call you what is sort of what does the next 24 to 48 hours look like after you've been traded when you're trying to get to that new city? Like, who do you talk to? What kinds of things are you, do you have to think about all of, all of that meeting new people? Yeah. So we'll obviously started with the call from, uh, from Calgary, uh, Brad Schlivering called me and let me know. And then uh, spoke to Kyle Dubas right after that. And then, um, yeah, I believe I spoke to the assistant general manager and the director of player development at the time from Toronto, all within the span of about an hour. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, the, the team services, uh, person helped me obviously just get lined up in terms of how I was going to get there. And, and ultimately they want you to do it as quickly as possible, as I'm sure both, you know, yeah. um, so yeah, you kind of just got to decide, you know, what can I reasonably get there and take with me? Kind of what do I need? Um, it's almost like places on fire, like what, what's essential and what can I leave? And yeah, I just, just packed a lot of stuff up, uh, left it with uh, one of my neighbors in, in Stockton there just because I knew he was going to be there till the end of the year and, and left my vehicle there as well. So left my vehicle there and, and you know, things like my computer and stuff that I just wasn't going to travel with. Uh, I left it and just kind of sacrificed it for the rest of the year and basically took enough to, to survive for, for the rest of uh, the season and then went back there to get everything at the end of the season. But yeah, pretty much flew out the next day got the call around six o'clock p.m and i think i was on a flight at one o'clock the next day just again because it's a little bit of travel to get to the airport from where i was located and um yeah playing two days after that wow that's yeah that's crazy i, I always feel like guys came in looking like their hair was on fire and mm -hmm. now i kind of understand why so i was it with toronto in 2017 for like development camp stuff and and so I've always wanted to know what a player's perspective is when they come from a different team, whatever other team it is, and they come to Toronto and they see the development staff that's got a guy like Daryl Belfry and um, Haley Wickenheiser, obviously Hockey Hall of Famer. What were your kind of takeaways from the emphasis that the Leafs organization puts on player development, not just on the ice, but off the ice versus what had you uh, versus what you experienced before? Yeah, I think, you know, everyone's doing a pretty good job of it. For sure, I would say Toronto's probably the best, the best that I've experienced or, you know, the most resources, let's put it that way. Um, you know, I remember just doing like line uh, – 
line development skates, you know, you just go on the ice with literally just your line and you're working on a sequence or two that you've seen or struggled with, or, you know, the coaching staff wants you to focus on. And I, you know, found situations like that to be definitely unique, you know, uh, obviously being on the coaching side of it now, <laughs> there's definitely stuff that I try to pull from, from my time there, but yeah, just the resources from facilities and, and the staff, like you mentioned that uh, not everyone has and not everyone values as much as they do, I think is, it, it was amazing. It was, it was unbelievable. You really can't ask for anything else in terms of what you need to improve and perform and be successful pretty much daily with, uh, with that organization. Was Keith playing music and practice then? Was yeah. That? Yeah. What I, are your I thoughts remember, on that? I love it. Yeah. I, I, even now we do it this, we do it in Victoria. Unreal. There's definitely a time and a place for it. I think like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll use crowd noise as well to simulate, you know, like, high intensity buildings or you know, smart. special team situations, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's, is it perfect? No, maybe not, but uh, it's, it's definitely another element that players have to kind of, you know, just think through and overcome on a daily basis that just, you know, might feel foreign to some, but if you do it enough, it just becomes second nature. And yeah, my, my first practice in Toronto, Sheldon was playing music and, and I loved it. It was, it was, it was a lighter practice. I think it was, maybe it was a, I don't think it was a game day skating. He was playing music. Never might have been the day before the game, but yeah, it just gets the tempo right up, pace goes up right away, and guys are just having fun. And and a lot of the times, that's that's what guys need to to, to play well and and bond and click and ultimately have success. So it was a little bit new to me at the time, but loved it. So you're so you're not playing music on a nine game losing streak is basically what you're saying. Right? Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably not. But uh, yeah, on a Monday, maybe after a long week where you have a good week, it's it's not a, not a bad idea to throw something on. We'll curate a three to four song playlist and use it as we're just kind of flowing through our, our high tempo stuff, early practice or situations yeah. like that. Three yeah. game slide, just put some scream core on. And then yeah, exactly. Then start winning. Everybody um, starts fighting. You know, I'm curious. Like at this point of your career, you know, you're four or five seasons in. Um, you had that game with Calgary uh, in the NHL, but just as someone, as a prospect that came as a first round pick, what can you tell us about just the if you had any any mental hurdles that kind of came with when your your career maybe wasn't progressing at any point um, that you had wanted uh, whatever way you know it was supposed to go. Like what what were your your thoughts and and just kind of the mental hurdles that were going through your mind. Yeah. You know, that first year comes to mind, that first year pro comes to mind. Um, you know, I, I was always a guy and still kind of am like, I understand you have to earn it. And I wanted to do just that. You know, I didn't want to be handed anything. And um, so that, that first year was really the toughest for me kind of after that pretty much first time I touched the puck, honestly, in my second season there, I started to feel more like what, what I could be. It felt like more right. how I could contribute as a player. And that just honestly kind of kept rolling from there. I, you know, had a couple of good seasons there were Stockton. And then that season I got traded, maybe I was, you know, wasn't doing quite as well, but like I said, roles and, and responsibilities that kind of changed in that last year there in Stockton. And I went to Toronto and um, still felt like I was playing pretty good hockey. Same thing was in a bit of a different role. Um, well, you know, wasn't playing a ton of, a uh, ton of special teams uh, either way. So it was just, you know, again, just trying to earn it and kind of carve out my role. But as soon as I went to Belleville there, uh, got traded to Ottawa, ended up in Belleville. I just, you know, got right back to kind of where I was uh, at times in Stockton and, putting up points being responsible defensively so uh, you know for pretty much after my first year it wasn't wasn't too bad mentally obviously mm -hmm. I think every kid wants me in the NHL at 18 years old but right. I understood I understood the process I understood that it had to be earned and I hadn't really felt like I'd done that yet so uh, I was you know I was kind of right where I felt like I, I should be at the time and, and I was still very hungry to ultimately continue chasing the highest level. So then you go from uh, playing in the AHL it's it's kind of let's talk about like your final season right where you decide okay I how did you arrive at the decision that you were going to step away from playing and maybe do something else in hockey like what what's your mindset like how does that change when you go from I want to play in the NHL to maybe I need to take a different avenue what, what does that look like yeah. So uh, the last season that I played was uh, when we, when everyone, when the world shut down for COVID basically, I was in Belleville there and we had a real good team, like really, really good team. So, you know, I think, I think we had a real chance at, uh, you know, at least, at least getting to the finals. So it was, uh, it was, it was frustrating when we shut down for sure. We obviously didn't really know what was coming next, but uh, I was actually dealing with some health issues. Uh, my, my back was, was quite bad that season. And I had a couple incidents that just really set me over the edge. So even, you know, that, that whole season I was dealing with, with back issues and it just got progressively worse as the season went on. And, and, 
and ultimately right before we shut down, I believe it was in March or whatever it was, I, I had to go to the, you know, I had to work with the medical staff to, to basically say like, I got to figure out what's going on here, especially if we're going to make a good little run at, uh, you know, at playoffs here. And so I took two, I, I elected to take basically two weeks off and, and image it and, you know, just, just try to get healthy at, the, at that point in time. And then, and then ultimately everything shut down. So um, yeah, that we, we shut down for COVID. I obviously couldn't get a ton of medical treatment or attention because everyone went home and everything was shut down for a little bit, but I spent basically the next year trying to uh, uh, just, just work through conservative treatments for my back. I was doing, you know, cortisone injections, like nerve blocks, things like that, just to yep. one, ultimately figure out what's going on and, and kind of fix it. And then, uh, yeah, did that for about eight months and then um, was feeling pretty good. I uh, felt like I could go play again, ultimately did re-sign um, on a contract that I ended up voiding just because I, I got injured again, just re-injured the exact same thing shortly before I was supposed to go. So I, uh, I had to look at other options and that ended up being a disc replacement, full disc replacement in my, in my lower back. So that, that ultimately made the decision for me. I wasn't necessarily sure how it was going to go, but uh, was, I went to one surgeon that didn't do disc replacements. He said, basically, I can't help you. And then I uh, saw another one that, that did. And uh, he ultimately did the operation and uh, said, basically, I don't, I don't advise you go back and play after this. So that wasn't a decision I, I made completely on my own. Um, you know, there was, there was risks involved to going back and, and playing. And then that last season was just, it was such a long year. I was in so much pain pretty much every single day um, that, you know, t- that takes toll on you for sure. And so, you know, that uh, the memory of that pain and just the advice from the surgeon ultimately uh, kind of forced me to make the decision not to play that season. And then, uh, yeah, I haven't returned since. So how did the transition of coaching come about? Yeah, so uh, I can't remember how long into COVID it was, but uh, basically I started working with uh, crash conditioning in Calgary. It's uh, Doug Crashley is the trainer's name. He's, he's ran a hockey program here in Calgary, uh, off ice and on ice for about 20 years now. And I trained there as a player prior to uh, getting drafted and moving to, to train with the Calgary staff and then ultimately went back to to train with him um you know when I ended up in Toronto and Belleville um and yeah so I I got connected with him he was looking for a little bit of help in on the player development side primarily on the ice but we'd have we'd actually had lots of conversations in terms of the off-ice training as well so that's kind of how I got my start was on the on the development side but I, I always knew that uh, I wanted to coach you know from a young age I, I was loved it loved helping friends loved you know just just working on stuff with with whoever it was teammates friends you know, even coaches themselves. So um, I wasn't really sure, you know, if, if I wanted to work more so in player development or on the bench, but uh, yeah, I got my start in player development with Doug Crashley at Crash Conditioning in Calgary, just uh, you know, running skates for him and actually doing a little bit of work off the ice as well with players video and, you know, just, just everything that goes into helping players get better. And uh, yeah, just, just knew right, right away that this is exactly what I want to do next. I, you know, my whole life's been hockey. It's, it's really all I know. And it's, it's, there's, there's nothing that I was, that I'm anywhere close to as passionate about or, or even knowledgeable about and with the experience I've had uh, yet yeah, over since then, basically a year, a year or two into COVID starting there and, and ending up on, you know, on the bench in Victoria, it's, it, it's a fantastic path and I love it. How would you define your coaching identity? Like what kind of coach are you? Identity. What a word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Manager. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, I'd say I'm, you know, a player's coach to some degree, like having, having been so fresh out of it, I think I have a different perspective on a lot of situations right. that, you know, there's, you just can't replace that for, for coaches that haven't played in a long time or haven't played in, you know, modern systems or anything like that. It, I can definitely relate to a lot of the things that happen on the ice and, 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 you know, how that affects players off the ice as well. So yeah, definitely uh, try to, you know, just build relationships and treat people well. And um, ultimately as an assistant coach, that's, I feel like what most, most of them are like is, is, you know, very supportive and, and obviously very involved in, in every single player's day-to-day life. And um, you know, even during the season as well, from a development standpoint or return to play standpoint with injuries, that's uh you know, that's the stuff that I love doing and um, ultimately found a home in Victoria doing just that. Is that why you kind of gravitate towards maybe the WHL or as opposed to the pro level? You Can you, is it easier, do you find, to level with players and maybe provide them with some of the advice either that you got when you were a player or advice you wish you had? Um, because you were such a high-level player really recently, do you find players lean on you a little bit for that level of advice and, and try and kind of have those conversations with you? 
Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I do. I, I love the, love the age that, uh, you know, I'm working at the junior ages is, is, is perfect. Um, I think there's, there's, you know, there's quite a bit of the coaching that goes on, right. I'm not going to say there's less that goes on at the junior or less that goes on at the pro level than the junior level, but you know, ultimately we're, we're not just coaching hockey players. Like we're, you know, we're, we're raising young men and that's a big part of it as well. I think that was probably one of the biggest adjustments, not an adjustment, but somewhat of a surprise for whatever reason, when you're thinking about what it's going to take and the roles and responsibilities abilities you're going to have as a coach I think that's not maybe the first thing that comes to mind when people talk about coaching at the junior level but uh, yeah ultimately in, in enjoyed that part of it just as much and uh, feel very fortunate to have the opportunity to work with a lot of players and they do they you know have great conversations that I think again is just maybe a little bit I'm guessing but maybe a little bit different than conversations that those players would have with with coaches that are you know 20 30 years my you know my age and, and haven't played in a while because not only can I can I relate but I can you know I can ultimately walk through a lot of this stuff and and, and demo a lot of this stuff just uh, either alongside them or for them and I, I do think that they get a lot of value out of that and and they seek it out they ask for it quite a bit what's an example of those kind of situations like schooling billeting those sort of things that that go into it and maybe how you are involved or whether it's directly or indirectly in that decision or processes yeah so i i mean billeting is uh it's not it's it's, I'm not the lead in Victoria on that, but I'm, yeah. I'm heavily involved in that. Um, pretty much daily checking in with check check in calls, curfew calls, whatever you want to call it, with with the like, <laughs> players themselves. Pretty much every You're single the Grim day. Reaper. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So th- you know that that's a big part of it, and and obviously extremely important that um, you know you're you're just checking in, making sure have make sure everyone's home ultimately but uh, just just to see how they're doing more so that was it was an adjustment from any experience i'd had with with you know the notional curfew calls um as a player the way we do it is you know we're, we're genuinely just calling to check in and, and and just have some dialogue on how things are going with not just the players themselves but the you know mm-hmm. the homes and the families that they're living with and you know you want to make sure everything's going well but uh, you just want to you want to build those relationships as well and uh just 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 check in and see how they're going so that would be one and then yeah we you know we do education um uh, you know education seminars and study halls we call them at least once a week and same thing i'm you know one of the the primary supervisors of that so i don't have as much to offer on the academic stand front as or standpoint as some of the some of the other people that you know assist our study hall sessions i'm you know a little more on the, got a little more to offer on the hockey side but uh, same thing offer any support i can and, and i've been in that situation as a player right where you're trying to balance the school and and everything that comes in terms of preparing when you're away for a couple of weeks on a road trip so can can offer some advice there as well I think it's different than the WHL too. It's almost like a bit of a different animal because I know in the OHL, like we would just get on the bus every Thursday or whatever it was and we'd bus and then we'd bus back. But I feel like in Victoria, especially, or if you're in Brandon, which is on the opposite side, like you're away for a while. So is it kind of like, do you have to work with the actual schools, the teachers as well, or are they kind of used to it at this point because the victoria royals have been going there for a number of years per let's just say yeah there's there's all the this i feel like there's a great relationship with every single junior team and whatever school they have their players assigned to um you know obviously you have some players that you acquire in a trade that maybe are completing stuff online or you know players that you have that are doing a little bit of it online but most of our players are in the classroom so um our education advisor that works very closely with our team tammy renyard she does a fantastic job and you know i I can't, I can't speak highly enough about her and what she does and the passion and time she puts into each of our players. And, you know, even over the course of the summer where we've been heavily involved and in, again, just, just, just making sure everyone's doing okay. They're on, you know, they're on time with their assignments, they're doing well. And um, yeah, we, we take a lot of pride of that in Victoria and that's, you know, part of the reason we do at least weekly study halls, sometimes even more than that. And, you know, mandated study halls on the bus using that time properly and, and things like that. And, and ultimately, uh, yeah, all of our players did quite well academically this year. So that's something, that's something we take just as much pride in uh, just as much as the hockey. How much Good different stuff. is the WHL? Sorry, Rachel. Um, how different is the WHL today with respect to like, analytics the video technologies or whatever it was when you were a player um and what they i don't really wheeling out a tv back then because i remember like it wasn't (laughs) i'm not sorry i don't mean to like make it like you're ancient my point being is now technological advances um are pretty insane do you notice a difference in that regard 
Is he yeah. always old? Like, wait I know. a minute. I mean, you guys are the same age. Now, I'm like younger than you guys. Now, I just made myself seem like a dinosaur. Yeah, no, they, they, they weren't wheeling out the classroom VHS <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, to show us what Swift Current was going to do the next night. But, <laughs> right, that'd be blurry. Yeah, honestly, I feel very fortunate. Being on the coaching front now, like with, with technologies like Instat and things like that, it's I, I, I feel fortunate because it, it definitely makes certain things a whole lot easier than I feel like they used to be. And even for the players themselves, like by the by the tail end of my playing career, obviously, you know, teams were using Instat and, and softwares like that where you get your shifts, you get a chance to watch it all and, and just kind of archive it, um, which, you know, you definitely players benefit from and I think appreciate. But, uh, yeah, on, on the coaching side of things, like, you know, the, the analytical software and, and things like Instat that are just going to group things together for you and save you a whole, a whole ton of effort yeah. in a lot of situations is something I feel very fortunate for. And then, you know, there, there's times where you don't have it, whether it's a back-to-back or, you know, you just don't get the video in time and you got to do it manually kind of puts it in perspective in terms of what it used to take uh, on a day-to-day basis and throughout the whole season for uh, for, for coaches that were doing it. So I, I feel fortunate. Dory, yeah, you I, that I, in Sudbury? Uh, yep. I, so we had Sudbury. I don't know if you've played in Sudbury or like seen the barn, but it's old, like really old. And so where the video platform is, it's actually like in the seats mm-hmm. and it just has like these plastic boards around it. But when you go, you have to move the camera yourself yeah. and there's a Ugh. pole in the middle of the, mm-hmm. the shot. So yeah. you're sitting there, not only trying to cut video, but you're also trying to avoid this random pull. And then you have your fans that are trying to talk to you. And so now with Instat, I agree with you. My life got so much easier at the NHL level when I did not have to film and cut the game myself. But from an analytics perspective, there's, I know Sport Logic does stuff. I know Stathletes does stuff. But what kind of analytics are you doing at the WHL level, obviously being cognizant that some of these kids are don't even have driver's licenses, like they're actually children. And so, and they might not be very good at math. So how do you kind of explain that? Cause I, I remember working with some of the kids who looked at me like I was an alien. Yeah, we keep it pretty surface level, honestly. Okay. We, we, you know, it, yeah, it's it's not a it's not a daily thing for us by any means. For the coaching staff, it is, but in terms of what we're relaying to the players or what we're sharing with the team, it's you know it's carefully selected and carefully thought out. And yeah, we you know we, we heavily weigh how much one they're they're, they're going to grasp and they're, under, they're and they're going to understand, and then two, you know, what kind of actual value is that going to provide to to each of them or the group as a whole? So yeah, we keep it pretty basic, pretty pretty surface level, like I said. But but same thing. There's times where you want to highlight things that, uh, you know, maybe are good, maybe are bad that, that we do find provides values and our value, excuse me. And, uh, and there's been times as well where the players relayed that, where they appreciate, you know, knowing a certain area of our game where, where we need to improve or, or where, you know, it doesn't come to mind first off in terms of where we're, where we're very successful or we want to continue to emphasize this area of our game. So, you know, we definitely use it from a coaching standpoint, but in terms of how much we're showing to the players, it's, it's carefully selected and I'd say relatively limited. That's probably how it should be, honestly. Like I, in my dealings with with players and it, kind of trying to explain it, even with coaches. Like I, I remember having to teach Bruce Boudreaux all about his analytics, and he was like, "Okay, do me a favor and don't show this." And then he listed off like ten players. I was like, "Okay, got it." Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's some players are really, really interested in that, maybe because they're good at math or they're just interested. But then there's other players who they don't even want to know what their plus minus is because they're just like, let me play, let me do my thing. So it's almost kind of like a balance of is more better with some guys. There's less better with others. Like it's, it's a mess. Dory, (laughs) isn't there also a value in how you communicate it? Like in terms of you could take it and then be like, Hey, you're getting absolutely rinsed in the, in the home plate, which you know that because you know, 40% of the chances are going the wrong way. Right. Isn't it kind of, that's the key too. Yeah, like when you're explaining, even to coaches, like if I was explaining something to Morgan, who probably has a better grasp on it than than most of the older coaches, um, I wouldn't be using the mathematical language that I was using when I was presenting my thesis defense in front right. of a board. In the same way that if I'm explaining something to the board, I wouldn't use like the the same language when I'm talking to Morgan because they don't understand hockey. Right. And I would not expect Morgan to understand like, academic equations and stuff like that that would be unfair and so it's mm-hmm. basically you have to adjust your audience do you guys do that whether you're meaning like power play penalty kill um do you adjust whether it's like more talking more chalk talk or more video depending on who's in the room 
Yeah, absolutely, we do. And honestly, after the season, we we did like long follow up calls with each of our players, just more so of an, in an exit meeting setting. But uh, that was one of the most valuable things I got out of those calls was uh, really just picking each individual player's brains, having been through a year now of, you know, different durations, different depths of pre scouts or you know whatever it is that you're going through, and and just what guys individually appreciate more so, and just you know talking with every single player, you get a collective understanding of kind of what the group wants, but. You know, going back to the analytics, you, you know, there's certain guys that that they're super eager for it, right? They're hungry for it. They want as much as you can give them, basically, or as much as you're willing to give them. And then there's other guys that are like, yeah, it's it's too much. Like, I, I can't I can't apply it. I can't whatever. And, you know, that, that's that's part of coaching, right? You have to understand the individual and and the audience as a, as a group of individuals. And, um, yeah, that, that's the balancing act you strike. Same with, you know, presenting the analytics or presenting the video and, you know, whatever it is, corrections or, or highlights and, and all that. And, yeah, I think that's what – that's what really allows coaches to, to connect with players in those regards is uh, yeah. Just catering to the individual more. So making sure the group, you know, properly understands what's expected and how we can improve and, you know, how we can help from a, an, an, an advantage perspective, but also then considering the players that, you know, want more and, and going out of your way to make sure they get it and feel prepared and feel confident. Awesome. Well, Morgan, this has been great, but before we let you go, we want to do a little bit of rapid fire. We like to do this with guests, get to know, what you're like away from the rink or what you're doing other than getting pucks in deep. Uh, so first off, you know, we'll a couple, we don't want to grill you too hard, but favorite yep. fast food. Ooh, uh, five guys. Ooh, Ooh. good choice. Yeah. What's the go-to that's, there? I, that's fast. That's fast food, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Five yeah. Guys. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I got a bacon cheeseburger with uh, grilled mushrooms That's delicious. And, and the Cajun fries. That's yeah. pretty deluxe. Yeah. Um, favorite music artist. Oh, Justin Bieber. There oh, you really? go. I All love right. it. Believer. Oh, he's an icon. You're winning some okay. fans here. I like it. <laughs> I I am now a fan. <laughs> uh, go to drink or like alcoholic drink or beer, or whatever. Uh, Coors Banquet. Coors Banquet. Okay. Post game and... Coors Banquets after wins. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, like that. Into that. And were you someone that was very rigid with your pregame routines? Yeah, yeah, I was pretty rigid with it. Yep. So walk us walk us yeah. through a game day. There you go, Dory. Yeah, it it evolved from junior to pro. Like in junior, for whatever reason, you eat at you know like three hours before that you go to the rink. Two hours before you go to the rink in pro, obviously you're kind of eating in the morning after morning skate. So yeah, I was a guy that definitely liked to get on for morning skate more times than not. Talking at the pro level, I guess in the junior level as well, I like to get on, just kind of feel it, and you know, you know, you do your couple two to three drills that everyone knows and feels good about. So morning skate after a good sleep. Uh, obviously, it was kind of start the day before for me, like that. I would, I would start my game day prep the the dinner at the very least the dinner before the game day so that good sleep pregame skate uh usually jump in uh like the normatex or you just get a flush on the legs something for the legs or put the stem on the legs after morning skate or maybe like a contrast bath like hot and cold tub kind of depends how the body was feeling a little bit of treatment after that then go eat i was a chicken pasta guy for the most part put a little bit of rice in there as well and ideally the team you know would have like some type of white sauce like a cream sauce i kind of got sick of the tomato sauce after eight years of it every single day um so yeah that'd be my meal a little bit of vegetables chicken pasta a bit of rice white sauce maybe a little bit of red sauce make it a rosé um then yeah a little bit of a nap one to two hours usually uh depends how i felt you know if you travel the night before you usually shut it down for one to two hours if not you're just sitting there thinking about the game and then yep like to get there early like they're you know at least two two and a half hours before really anything gets going um tape a couple sticks uh do a little bit a little bit of visualization some self-talk and then just just get the body ultimately ready warm up from the inside out with a coffee or two and then warm up uh you know good good dynamic warm-up um and then yeah just kind of get into your meetings get ready for the for the game and then i was always like left equipment on first left skate left shin pad left glove all that stuff yeah that was a big one for me i don't know why um and then yeah other than that like i I got i got into the wax baths with for my hands so i put the hands in the wax bath put the bag on my hands and just warm up the hands and then uh, yeah at that point usually felt ready to go and soccer play sewer ball as well that was uh you know always look forward to that on game day got pretty competitive and um yeah then it was time to work that's pretty i love sewer ball yeah it's (laughs) It's the best nothing you said there was too crazy but i gotta ask you don't need to name them but what's the weirdest superstition of a teammate you've ever seen yeah, I got one. He uh, 
he would well, he had a couple of things. He's a really good player. Probably shouldn't say his name, but he would sit in the shower. He'd take a chair into the shower before the game. If he was if he was on a point streak, he wouldn't take his or he wouldn't take his stick. Yeah. If he was on a or wasn't on a point streak, <laughs> he would tape his take his stick in the shower and like fully retape it. And he'd sit on the chair in the shower and like full visualization routine, like like deking, like working through all kinds of sequences, sitting in his chair, like just twitching, eyes closed. With the shower like, on? No, no, the shower was off. I don't know why he oh. went in the shower. Oh, shower, okay. shower was off. Shower was off. I should have made that clear. Like, shower Whoa. was off, but I think he just liked being in like his own little space. Um, so yeah, he would go in there and then, uh, yeah, like I said, if he was on a point streak, this guy wouldn't retape the knob of his stick or the blade of his stick or clean his visor basically until it ended. And he was a massive, he was a massive scorer. So there's times where he was playing with, it, like you, I don't know how he could see one and two. Like there was just strands of tape hanging off of his stick. There's nothing left on it. But uh, yeah, honestly, one of the better players I, I played with at the, at the junior level for sure. So that, that was probably the weirdest one. I'm so happy you clarified that the stick was like the water wasn't on. The water was, wasn't on. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just imagining like you guys getting ready to go and, and like you know John Doe comes out with a soaking wet twig. It's like yeah, I'm ready to go. And you guys, yeah. are like, sweet, yeah. sounds good. No, I think he just liked the the, the private little space. Fair, the shower off fair. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll give him that. Well. Morgan, man, this was awesome. We we definitely went way over than we promised you, but you're you're a champ, and it time flies by when you're having fun. Thank you so much, man, and we hope to do this again sometime. Yeah, absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, yeah, thanks man. for coming on. Good luck this season. I uh, when I'm out west, hopefully I'll I'll get out to a Royals game. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, Matt, take care. Yeah, you too. Bye bye.